My name is Michael Tuck, and I'm the associate pastor here at Bacon's Castle Baptist Church. We are a local church in Surrey, Virginia, dedicated to making disciples of Jesus Christ. This is the weekly podcast that we put out for our local church family and the church as a whole. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. Turn in your Bibles to Galatians. You're going to need your Bible. Thank you, Jack. I know that was a a big thing I asked you to do, read two chapters, but we read two chapters of the book of Galatians, chapter 1 and chapter 2. The reason I really wanted Jack to read both chapters is because it's, it's a complete argument. Chapter 1 and 2 is an argument from Paul, and uh, we're going we're to see that again this morning. I'd like you to imagine with me, if you would, that you love God, and that you've loved God for a long time. You've loved God probably maybe over all, all your life, and you've sought to live for Him. You've sought to live for him. And then one day, God supernaturally arrests your attention. And he basically says to you that everything you thought, or maybe not everything, but one of the main things you thought about God was wrong. And not only was it wrong, but you have been dishonoring him when you thought you were honoring him. In fact, what God shows you that just the opposite of what you thought about this particular issue Uh, is true. You've actually been teaching something and doing something that made God look bad, actually, and you were doing wrong. But God has got your attention, and you become convinced that you were wrong. So you begin to teach what you now know to be true by revelation from God. God taught it to you, and you begin to teach it. And people are convinced. But the the people who used to hold to what you used or still hold to what you used to hold to well, they begin to persecute you because of what you're now teaching. Then they try to kill you. But even though they try to kill you, you press on and you are encouraged. Obviously, if you're familiar with what we're talking about, you know that that's exactly what happened to Paul in this letter that we're reading this morning. Uh, he told us about that in chapter 1 of the book of Galatians. He loved God, he followed God, but he had misunderstood God. And he was doing something that was contrary to the will of God, and God showed him. And last week we saw that Paul said to the Galatians as he writes to them, he says, the good news that I shared with you didn't come from men, but it came from God. He told them how men didn't teach it to him, that God had taught it to him, and that he had very little contact with the leadership of the church in Jerusalem, Peter, James, or any of the other ones, and how he spent three years in Arabia, and it was in Arabia in those three years that God had taught him what he is now teaching them. He spent only two weeks after that in Jerusalem with Peter and James. The problem is that the Galatians and others are now rejecting what he had taught them. People have come behind them, and they've convinced the Galatians, that what Paul taught them wasn't all true, that there was a part missing. And they were accepting this thing that others were saying Paul left out. And Paul says, it's not true. It's a lie. It's wrong. It's false. And his goal in this letter, at least in these first two chapters, has been this, to convince the Galatian churches that he started, that what he told them is the truth, and that what they're accepting is not true, that they're accepting something that he believes in the end will destroy them. And so we saw chapter one as part of that defense, and we'll come back to it, but the defense continues. His defense continues in chapter two. 
So he gets home from this Galatian mission trip, and when he gets home to Syrian Antioch, which is north of Israel in Syria, Antioch, when he gets back to the church that he's helped plant and grow from its inception almost, he discovers that there's a new threat. So let's go back to chapter 2, and we're going to start the teaching time there, since we already looked through chapter 1. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, uh, taking Titus along also. And I went up according to a revelation and presented to them, that would be the them would be in Jerusalem, the leadership, the good news I preach among the Gentiles, but privately to those recognized as leaders. I wanted to be sure I was not running and had not been running in vain, but not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised. Even though he was a Greek, this matter arose because some false brothers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom that we have in Messiah Jesus in order to enslave us. But we did not give up and submit to these people for even a moment so that the truth of the good news would be preserved for you. Look at verse 5 again real quickly. I just want to say, remember that verse. Because even this morning as I was kind of going over my notes, I, 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 you know, verse 5, the reason why we are not doing what these people were teaching the Galatians to do, the reason we're not is because Paul would not submit to them. And he spoke the truth to them. So I'll come back to that in just a bit. So verse 4, he, here's where he tells us what the threat is that he sees. And in verse 4, he says the threat is that false brothers had infiltrated their ranks to spy on them and the freedom they have in Jesus. And these men were desiring to enslave the people again. Now, Acts 15 kind of gives us a little bit more light on, on what Paul is talking about. In Acts chapter 15, the Apostle Paul, we told you this last week, he goes to Jerusalem. Remember he says in the text we read from Galatians chapter 2 that he goes to Jerusalem. Well, Acts 15 tells us what happened when he got there. So let's read chapter 15, the book of Acts 15, 1. You might want to keep your, your finger between Acts 15 and Galatians 2. Those will be the two places we'll be reading. But in Acts 15, 1, it says, Some men came down from Judea and began to teach the brothers, Unless you are circumcised according to the custom prescribed by Moses, you cannot be saved. Some, some people came to Syrian Antioch, and they began to say, Hey, listen, unless you keep Moses' commandments in the first covenant to be circumcised, and the dietary laws, and all of those sort of things that God had prescribed in the first covenant, unless you do that, you cannot be saved. Verse 2, after Paul and Barnabas had engaged them in serious argument and debate, Paul and Barnabas and some others were appointed to go to the apostles and elders in Jerusalem about this issue. And when they had been sent on their way to the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles, that would be the Gentiles in Galatia, and they brought great joy to all the brothers and sisters. And so Paul and, and Barnabas, along with some other people from Antioch, they go down they go down to Jerusalem, and they're going to meet with the elders about this very issue. Do you have to keep the commandments of the first covenant? There are 613 of them. Are we expected now who believe in Jesus dying for us? Do we need to keep those laws as well? And these guys are teaching that you do. You have to keep all those laws. You have to be circumcised. You have to eat the dietary stuff. You got to do on the Sabbath what they had prescribed. All of those laws, you had to keep them. 
So Paul says after 14 years, we're back in Galatians now, after 14 years, he goes back to Jerusalem to meet with, uh, with Peter to settle this issue. This is 14 years after the previous time, which we read was just after three years in Arabia. He was there with him for two weeks. Now, 14 years later, he's meeting with Peter. And he would go back to settle the issue. And uh, so here's the issue, in case you haven't noticed. The issue is Paul is preaching that you do not have to keep the Jewish first covenant anymore, even if you're Jewish, even if you're Gentile. We don't have to keep the, the commandments of the first covenant. The first covenant has been rendered obsolete. The first covenant isn't in play anymore. What's in play now is this new covenant that we put our faith in Jesus. And if we put our faith in Ju Jesus, whether you're Jewish or whether you're Gentile, you are now part of the kingdom of God and you are rescued by God because of that. You don't have to obey the, uh, the first commandment, the first covenant. You don't have to keep it anymore. And so he's going to go find out, is the good news that all of us Jews and Gentiles belong to the kingdom of God through faith in Jesus? Or is the good news that we put our faith in Jesus plus we keep the first covenant that God made with Israel? That is the question that he's going to answer. He takes Barnabas with him. He tells us that he takes Titus with him as well. Titus is the name that you'll find on one of the top of one of Paul's other letters. Titus was a Greek young man, never circumcised. He was one of the men that Paul discipled and trained. He left him in Crete at one point, to which he writes this letter of Titus. But he's an uncircumcised Gentile, and he's taking him with him down to Jerusalem. When they get there, the first thing that Paul does, if you look at the text, is he meets with the leadership privately, probably Peter, James, John, not James and John, the two brothers, but James, the brother of Jesus and John, the apostle. And he meets with them privately because he says, I wanted to find out, is what I'm teaching right? Is this really what you guys are teaching? Have I been teaching all this in vain? So he meets with them privately. Back into Acts chapter 15, we read, When we arrived at Jerusalem, we were welcomed by the church, the apostles and the elders, and they reported all, and they reported all that God had done with them. But some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, It is necessary to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. So what the, the question is, do do People who now follow Jesus, Jewish or Gentile, do they still need to keep that first covenant? The circumcision commands, the dietary commands, the tattoo commands, the hair length commands, and every other one of the 16 and, 116 and 13 commands, do they need to keep them? And some believe that they did. Some believe that you put your faith in Messiah Jesus, but you also had to keep those commands. And Paul was saying, no, you don't. That's been done away with. And, and so they have a convention to answer this question. Look at verse 6. This is in the book of Acts now. The apostles and the elders gathered to debate, to consider this matter. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you are... What are they debating? They're debating whether we still need to keep the first com covenant, the commands of Moses in, in, the, in the Old Testament. Do we still need to keep them? 
After this, Peter stood up and he said, Brothers, you are aware that in the early days God made a choice among you, that by my mouth the Gentiles would hear the gospel message and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he also did to us. He made no distinction between us and them, cleansing their hearts by faith. Now then, why are you testing God by putting a yoke on the disciples' necks that neither our ancestors nor we have been able to bear? On the contrary, we believe that we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus in the same way that they are. In other words, we believe that we Jews and those Gentiles, we're all saved by the same grace of the Lord. The whole assembly, verse 12, became silent. And they listened as Barnabas and Paul described all the signs and the wonders God had done through them amongst the Gentiles. And after they had stopped speaking, James responded, Brothers, listen to me. Simeon has reported how God first intervened to take from the Gentiles a people for his name. And the words of the prophets agree with this, as it's written, After these things I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. I will rebuild its ruins and set it up again, so that the rest of humanity will seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who are called by my name, declares the Lord who makes, makes these things known from long ago. Therefore, in my judgment, we should not cause difficulties for those among the Gentiles who turn to God, but instead we should write to them to abstain from things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from eating anything that has been strangled, and from blood. For since ancient times, Moses has had those who proclaim him in every city, and every Sabbath day he is read aloud in the synagogues. So we're talking over 10 years after Jesus has died. I mean, this isn't like the day after. This isn't even the year after. This is a decade later. They're still trying to grapple with what Jesus has done for us. And, and more, maybe more specifically, what is the connection between God's Old Testament command to Israel and what God has done through Jesus, who is Israel's Messiah? How does this all fit together? Now, Paul writes to the Galatian churches that he planted. He writes that after this meeting, verse 3, he says, Not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. Now, remember, people have gone to Galatia following Paul, and they've been saying, Paul just, he didn't want to tell you the truth because it was just too hard, and he wanted, you to, he wanted you to like him, he wanted you to believe him. And so he left out this part about how you've got to keep the Old Testament. You've got to keep the Old Testament laws. And, and he says, Paul says to them, listen, they didn't even make Titus get circumcised when I went up there to meet with them. They, they had stood up with the men, they had stood up to these men, and they had said, listen, we are not under obligation anymore because of Jesus to keep the Old Covenant. We are not, we don't have to keep it, whether we're Jews or Gentiles. God is doing a new thing. And he was doing a new thing. He was setting aside the old covenant. And out of the ashes of, of David's people, he was building a new kingdom, a new people, a new nation that would be made up of Jews and Gentiles who would be priests to their gods, living stones in this temple that God was creating. And it would all be because you would be born again by faith in the Messiah that God had sent. 
not by keeping the Jewish covenant. And so in Hebrews chapter 8, verse 13, one of my favorite verses, the author says, the first covenant had become obsolete and was now passing away. Let's go back to the book of Galatians, verse 6. You, you following with me? I know I'm teaching, and you all look bored. <laughs> I just want you to follow with me, okay? It's going to get exciting in a minute, maybe. Now, from, uh, from those recognized as important... What they were, once were, makes no difference to me, Paul says. God does not show favoritism. They added nothing to me. In other words, when I went down there, they, they didn't add anything to the gospel, to the good news that I'd been teaching. On the contrary, they saw that I had been entrusted with the good news for the uncircumcised, just as Peter was for the circumcised. Since the one at work in Peter for an apostleship to the circumcised, by when it says circumcised, it's talking about the Jewish people, was also at work in me for the Gentiles. Those are the uncircumcised. When James and Cephas, that would be Peter and John, and those recognized as pillars acknowledged the grace that had been given to me, they gave us the right hand of fellowship to me and to Barnabas, agreeing that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised or to the Jews. They asked only that we would remember the poor, which I had made every effort to do. So Paul then says, hey, when we got there, he's telling the Galatian Christians, when we got there, they gave me the right hand of fellowship. They didn't add anything to me. They, they said, they sent us out saying, you're the apostle to the Gentiles. We're the apostle to the, Paul, Peter said, I'm the apostle to the Jews. Now this wasn't absolute. Remember, Peter is the first Jew to engage a Gentile, Cornelius, an uncircumcised Roman who, remember, God gives him the Holy Spirit in the same way that he'd given it to them at, at Pentecost. And Peter says, how are we to argue with God when he gives the Holy Spirit to Gentiles just like he did to us? And so what Paul said, that all, all they asked us to do is to remember the poor. Well, that's not exactly, that's not exactly true. They asked, they, they asked for more, too. You remember the council, they said... Uh, that's not, not, it's not true, but it's not complete. Because at the council, they said, we ask only three things. Abstain from food offered to idols, uh, from things strangled that would have the blood in it, and from sexual immorality. Well, sexual immorality, the Spirit of God would have told them that. They really didn't need to say that. But, but the other two are ceremonial Jewish laws that would be done away with. And the reason why I think they asked for that, this is just my speculation, but the reason why they asked for that is James said this, in every city where you go, Jews are, and there's synagogues in every city. And so there's lots of Jews everywhere. So for the sake of unity in the body of Christ, Hey, let's not, let's not eat things that were strangled. Let's not eat things that have the blood in them. And let's not eat things that were offered at, at idol temples because that would be offensive to, to people with a Jewish background. I believe that's what he's, he's trying to facilitate unity in the body of Christ. Paul didn't mention those things, but they don't, they don't change Paul's point. The point is, they said, you don't have to keep the ceremonial. You don't have to, you don't have to keep the Jewish covenant anymore. All right, let's go to verse 11. Now, when Peter came to Antioch, now here's where it gets interesting. When, when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For he regularly ate with the Gentiles before certain men came from James. However, how, when, however, when they came, he withdrew and separated himself because he feared those from the circumcision party. 
Then the rest of the Jews joined his hypocrisy so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were deviating from the truth of the good news, I told Cephas or Peter in front of everyone, if you who are a Jew live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you compel Gentiles to live like Jews? So here's what happened. Peter comes up from, from Jerusalem to Antioch to visit Paul and to see what God's doing in Syrian Antioch. How long is he there? We don't know, but evidently for some time. And while he's there, he lives the good news of the gospel. He lives the good news of Jesus. He eats with the Gentiles. He sets aside that he doesn't live by the Jewish laws anymore. He is living just like the Gentiles in faith under Jesus. But while he's there, some other men from Jerusalem come up, and these men are more committed. These men believe that the Jewish law is still necessary. And what happens, evidently, is Peter stops eating with the Gentiles, stops, stops violating Jewish law, and eats only with the Jews. And he says, not, not, only, not only does he get caught up in that, but Barnabas starts doing it, and the rest of the Jewish believers in Messiah, they start doing it. So they start segregating themselves from the Gentile believers. And Paul watches this. And, and, and Paul can't keep quiet. And so there in front of everybody in that group, he calls Peter out. And he says, Peter, how is it that you can live like a Gentile? And I'm, I'm going to read in between the lines, right? But he's saying, Peter, how is it that you can live like a Gentile when these Jewish brothers from Jerusalem aren't here? But now when they come up, all of a sudden, you're acting like we've got to live under the Jewish law again. How can you do that? And, and Paul calls him to, uh, he says he stands up to him publicly to uh, his face. And he condemns his actions because his actions are substantiating the problem which is that if you're going to follow Jesus, you got, some people are saying you still got to keep the Jewish law. And the good news is that, no, you don't. The good news is Jesus has done it all for us, and we put our faith in him. So he stands up to Peter uh, in, this, in this particular moment. Verse 15. So, so, so that kind of ends Paul's defense, if you would, of to the, he's writing the Galatians, defending why they should believe him and not the people that have come after him. That's sort of the, the end of the defense, although I'll come back to it in a minute. And now from 15 to the end of chapter 2, he actually begins to delve into the good news, what it is, why the good news is that it's Jesus apart from the Old Testament. It's Jesus apart from the Jewish law. It's, it's Jesus entrusting him alone. So let's look, verse 15. We are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Let me talk about that Gentile sinners. That's tongue in cheek. That's, that's Paul using what they would have said about the Gentile people, that they're sinners, but we're not because we're Jewish. He says, we are Jewish by birth, Jews by birth, not Gentile sinners. And yet, because we know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus, the Messiah, even we ourselves, I'm going to interject the word as, we ourselves as Jews have believed in the Messiah, Jesus. Here's what Paul says. 
And he's writing to Galatians. He says, listen, guys, we were Jewish by birth, but yet we recognize and we understand that a person isn't made righteous before God, not justified before God by the works of the first covenant. We recognize that. And that's why we've put our faith in Messiah Jesus, even we who have believed in Jesus. You follow that? All right, so he's saying, hey, we recognize that people are not justified by keeping, by being circumcised. This is the Jews' whole problem for so long. They thought that because they were circumcised, because they kept dietary laws, because they grew the hair on the side of their face and they didn't get tattoos, that somehow or another that made them acceptable to God or that justified them before God. It never justified anybody before God. Justification before God has always been, always been by faith. Always. In the Old Testament and in the New, it's always been by faith. Not because you were Jewish, not because you tried to keep some of the Jewish laws, or because you circumcised yourself, or you didn't eat this meat, or you ate that thing, or you didn't, you didn't do this, or you didn't. It was never by that. It was always by faith. And Paul says, we've recognized that people aren't justified by keeping. We know people who keep the law, but are, they're not right with God. We know that. And so we understood that we needed to be made right by the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. So we've believed in the Messiah Jesus. Verse 16b, this was so that we might be justified by faith in Messiah and not by the works of the Old Testament ceremony, uh, uh, covenant that God made with Israel. Because by the works of the law, all those 613 laws in the Old Testament, no human being will be justified. Nobody's justified by being circumcised. Nobody's justified by what they eat or don't eat. Nobody's justified because they don't do this or they do that on the Sabbath, he's saying. And so because we recognize that, that no human being is justified by keeping those 613 laws, we've come by faith and we've believed that Jesus died for us to justify us. Verse 17 but if we ourselves are, now by the way, verse 17 and 18, 19, 20, I mean, this is where it kind of gets difficult. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to help, I'm going to try to do my best to explain it as I, best I understand it, okay? But the, the Greek language, it's all kind of hard to understand. But here's what I think Paul's trying to say in verse 17. But if we ourselves are also found to be sinners while seeking to be justified by Messiah, is Messiah then the promoter of sin? Absolutely not. Here's what I think verse 17 means. But if we ourselves, Jews, who put our faith in Messiah, are found to be sinners, as, as written out in the first covenant, right? If we found to be sinners because we don't practice circumcision, or we found to be sinners because we're eating with Gentiles, or we're eating the wrong things, if we found to be sinners against those 613 laws while seeking to be justified by Messiah Jesus, is the Messiah then a promoter of sin? In other words, when we follow Messiah, is he promoting sinfulness by our disobedience to the first covenant laws? And he says, absolutely not. It's a, it's a rhetorical uh, definitive. No, that's not true. And here in verse 18, I think Paul says just the opposite is true. Look at verse 18. If I rebuild those things that I tore down, 
I show myself to be a lawbreaker, for through the law I died to the law so that I might live for God. Here's what Paul, I believe, is saying. If I rebuild those things that I tore down, if I add the first covenant and its laws back to my life, that I have to live by those laws again, which I cannot do, I show myself to be a lawbreaker. I'm just breaking the law again. For through the law, what the law did, he says, is it made me die. The wages of sin, the wages of violating the law of God is death. So it made me die. He says, for, there, for through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. And what he means is the law, the law demands my death. The law is the reason why I'm going to die. And he said, the law killed me. But what he hasn't explained exactly here is that I died in Christ. I died with Christ. That's how I died to the law. Let's keep reading. The Old Testament shows me that I can't live pleasing to the law. I can't live up to the law. What I deserve for not living up to the laws of God, those Old Testament laws, is death. The wages of sin is death. God, Adam and Eve died because they, they, they didn't listen to God. They disobeyed. We all die because of our sin. If I try to put the Old Testament law back in place and live by them, I'll just show that I'm not keeping those laws anymore. Verse 20. I have been crucified with Messiah. When Messiah died, I died with him. I was crucified with him. And I no longer live, but, but the Messiah lives in me. Now, this is, this is metaphorical, guys. I mean, Paul wasn't dead. He didn't get crucified on the cross. Jesus wasn't nailed there and Paul nailed on top of him. That's not what he means, of course. What he means is when Messiah Jesus was dying, when I put my faith in him, I, I die with him. And when I die with him, when he rose from the grave, I, I live, I no longer live, but Messiah lives in me. When, when he rose, I rose. And now Messiah is living in my life. Jesus is living in my life. I now live, but it's Messiah's resurrected life that's living in me. And there's a sense in which that's metaphorical, right? I mean, Jesus isn't literally inside us. Or is he? He is, right? He said he put his spirit inside of us. And so his spirit is actually living in us and living through us. And he continues, the life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave myself, gave, excuse me, gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God for if the righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died for nothing. That's a great verse. I, the life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God. He lives, he lives by his faith in Jesus, not by living according to the Old Testament laws. Who, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God. I will not set aside the grace of God is what he's saying. To go back to the Old Testament law. For if righteousness could come by keeping the Old Testament law, Jesus need not have died. But he did die. And we don't have to live by the Old Testament law. 
So today Paul is saying, I'm not trying to please God by being circumcised. I'm not trying to please God by not eating pork. I'm not trying to please God by letting the hair grow on the side of my head. I'm not trying to please God by not getting a tattoo. He says, I'm pleasing God because I'm putting my faith in Jesus and I'm letting his life through his spirit live in me and show me and teach me and, and, and guide me in how to live for him. He's, he's living his life in me. I'm trusting in his grace and I'm not going back to keeping the first covenant laws as a means of making myself righteous because it doesn't. Doesn't make me righteous. It makes me a lawbreaker because I cannot live by, the, by that old covenant. I can't do it. And so he will not. And thus ends chapter two of the book of Galatians. So let me end this morning. What time is it? Let me end. Uh, I want to just, I want to show you, I want to tie all this together, and then I want to draw a couple of applications for us. First, let's note the reasons why in chapters 1 and 2 that Paul says the Galatians should believe him, why we should believe him, that we don't. And by the way, he was successful, right? How many of you even worry about keeping the Old Testament laws? Is there anybody in here who even thinks or considers it's even on their radar that they should keep the Old Testament law? No. And we owe that to Paul. We owe it to Paul and men like Paul who would stand up and say, nope, God did away with the first covenant. And he's instituted a new covenant that is in Messiah. And in Messiah, all the, all the laws have been fulfilled. Jesus lived them for us. And now our faith is in him, not in the Jewish law. So thank goodness and thank God for Paul. And that, that, that verse 5, remember that verse 5 back at the beginning where he said, I stood up to them for your sake? It's for our sake. It's the reason why we don't, we don't have to do those things anymore. We don't do those things because they were done away with in Christ. Now, verse, uh, so here, here, let me give you the reasons why Paul says the Galatians should listen to him. I'm just going to run through them real quick. He says, you should listen to me and not them because I am an apostle, uh, that God made me apostle, not men. Verse 1. He said, you should listen to me and not them because I've never been a people pleaser. I've been a God pleaser. You should listen to me and not them because the gospel that I taught you didn't come from men, but God gave it to me. I didn't get it from Peter. I didn't get it from John. I didn't get it from James. I got it from God himself. And that's the reason why you should listen to me. You should listen to me because I was changed from being a persecutor of believers. My whole life was reoriented. God changed me. You should listen to me. You should listen to me because the Jewish Jerusalem, excuse me, the Christian Jerusalem leaders agreed with me and they agreed with my good news. They didn't add anything to it. You should listen to me and not the people who came after me because the Jerusalem leaders not only agreed with me, but they sent me out and they said, you're to go and to be the apostle to the, to the Gentiles. And finally, I think Peter is saying to the Galatians, you should listen to me because I stood up to Peter face to face over this issue. It's so important. And that's why you should listen to me. So let me go back in chapter two. And just like I did last week, if I could real quickly, just draw three applicational truths for us from, from Paul's dealing with them. The first one, the first one that, I, that, that kind of jumped off the, the chapter for me, for us today, this is where two, two, millennia, two millennia separated from this, but, but let me just, here's the first one. God doesn't show favoritism. God doesn't show favoritism. In verse 6, Paul says, 
You know, these people, whatever they used to be in life, they're important now. They're at the top of the pinnacle of the church there in Jerusalem. He says, but what they were doesn't matter because God doesn't show favoritism. Favoritism is partiality or bias. It's preferencing one person over another with equal claims. That's what, that's what uh, favoritism is. It's kind of like discrimination in reverse. If favoritism is, is showing favor to someone because of, for no reason, discrimination might be discriminating or, or, or cutting someone out for, for a, an equal reason that they shouldn't be cut out. So, so he says, God doesn't show favoritism. And I was, I was amazed. The Bible says this over and over again. Here's Romans chapter 2, verse 9 and following. Uh, there will be affliction and distress for every human being who does evil, first to the Jew and also to the Greek, but glory and honor and peace for everyone who does what is good, first to the Jew and also to the Greek, for there is no favoritism with God. Of course, this is the same man. This is Paul writing this, so I guess, you know. So he says in Ephesians 6, 9, Paul, again, warning masters over slaves. He says, be careful how you treat people under, under your mastership or whatever, because one day you're going to answer to them. And God shows no favoritism, uh, Paul says to the Ephesians. When God met with Cornelius, this is not Paul, this is Peter. Peter in Acts chapter 10, verse 34 says, Now I truly understand, this is after the, the sheet with the food goes down, and how he then sends him to Cornelius the Gentile. Peter says, Now I truly understand that God doesn't show favoritism. But in every nation, the person who fears him and does what is right is acceptable, acceptable to him. In the context, what Peter is saying, I truly understand that God doesn't show favoritism to the Jews. But in every nation, Jew and Gentile, the person who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. One of the attributes of God is that God has never shown partiality. And that it doesn't matter who you are from the days of Abraham and the prophets, God has always accepted and received the righteous by faith. It's always been that way. So Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And the prophets come along and they say, uh, the, the righteous shall live by faith. It's always, righteousness has always been found in our response of faith to God. So it matters not who you are, who you were, where you came from, how smart you are, what you look like, God shows no partiality to any of us. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I think there's an application for us here too. And you know what the application would be? If our God shows no partiality, then we should be careful not to show favoritism and partiality ourselves. And in fact, we're warned against it in the scripture. Here's, here's uh, James, the, the, the one who leads the church in Jerusalem. He says, my brothers, as believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Messiah, don't show favoritism. Now the context, anybody remember the context of James' words? They have to do with the rich, right? People showing favoritism to the rich over the poor, how a person was dressed. Later on, same context, this chapter 2, verse 8 and 9 uh, this is what James says even further. He says, if you really keep the royal law found in the scripture, love your neighbor as yourselves, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted uh, by the law as a lawbreaker. So favoritism 
goes against the character of God and is not one of the attributes of God. And it's what you and I need to not be partial. We should be impartial. We, we should care. People, man, this, this whole thing that we're experiencing in our culture today, dividing people by, by all kinds of things. We've got to be careful. We don't do that. We, 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 we don't judge people based on any of that. We show no partiality, or at least we should. Number two truth from, from uh, Galatians chapter two is this. There are no infallible leaders. Ten years after Jesus, Peter still gets it wrong. Now, I'm not throwing any stones at Peter. I mean, please don't hear me throwing any stones at Peter. It's real easy to mess up. To be a sinful human is to be broken, and to be a sinful human is to, break, uh, is to still mess up. And, and it doesn't matter how many years of walking with Jesus, we can still fail. We can still fall. None of us are immune to hypocrisy or making wrong decisions. None of us are. I would say Paul made his own mistake when just a short time after this, Barnabas and him are going to go on another missionary journey back to the churches of Galatia. You remember this? And Barnabas wants to take John Mark, who deserted them on the first trip. And Paul says, no way. I'm not taking that man. He left us the first go-round. I'm not taking him again. And I, I think Paul was wrong. I mean, where's the grace there? I think Paul messed up. So we all make mistakes. We all stumble. So here's a couple of thoughts about that. Be careful not to put people on pedestals. Don't, don't put anybody on a pedestal because everybody falls off pedestals. The only one that never fell off his pedestal is our king. Yeah, he's never fallen off his pedestal. And he never will. But the rest of us, we're really prone to fall off our pedestal. So be careful. Don't put people on a pedestal. And the second thing is be open to correction from other godly Christians. Right? If we can all fall off the pedestal, we can all get blind spots. So let's be careful to be willing to listen to correction from brothers and sisters when they come to us. Let's not be defensive. Let's not judge them as hating us or they're just mean. Let's, let's just listen to them and say, God, are they speaking the truth to me? Uh, do I need to listen to this? Sometimes you're going to be Paul and you're going to go to the brother and you're going to say, you were wrong. But sometimes you're going to be Peter. And the brother's going to come to you and say, you were wrong. You've got to be willing to listen. You've got to be willing to listen. And the final, the final truth that I just pulled out of chapter 2, that for us today, an application from, from Paul's words, would be this. When great issues are at stake, we must not be silent. When great, big, important issues are at stake. The proverb says, it's to a man's offense is to a man's glory to overlook an offense. Some issues are really little. And you just, you know, you would just do well to overlook it and not have to deal with it, right? I mean, just absorb the hurt yourself. Don't, you don't need to deal with it. But some issues are not like that. And some issues are so big and so great, you've got to speak up. And, and this was one of those big issues as far as Paul was concerned. Paul was like the stake the stake, the, what's at stake here is the good news. Is the good news that Messiah Jesus died our death for us so that though none of us can keep the law of God, whether it's the, whether it's the 613 commandments of the, uh, of the old covenant or whether it's any of the laws of God, none of us can live up to that. We all deserve death because of that. 
hey, we're not going to reverse the death we deserve because of our obedience. And so we need Jesus. So it's not about our obedience to the laws. It's about putting our trust in the death, burial, and resurrection of Messiah. And he thought this issue was so big that he had to speak up. He couldn't keep silent. And I would say to all of us, if there's a, there are issues that we cannot keep silent on. Ecclesiastes 3.7 says this, there's a time to remain silent and a time to speak. If you're not following what I tried to say just a minute ago, it was this, sometimes it's hard to know what's what, right? Sometimes it's best not to speak, right? But then there's sometimes that we have to speak, even if it means confronting a friend, even if it means confronting a church leader, even if it means confronting them publicly in front of others. You know, I kind of made myself a joke here. I said, I must be pretty approachable because over the years, lots of folks have let me know when I mess up. (laughs) That's a good thing, actually. I'm talking about being let known that you've messed up. I mean, I think that's good. If we don't have correction, if we don't have anybody speaking into our lives, we can't fix what's wrong. We can't, if they're, they're called blind spots for a reason, right? They're called blind spots because you don't see them. And you can't see the blind spots unless somebody helps you. So, uh, so we need to speak up. Uh, and it's not just in our church setting that we need to speak up. I think we need to speak up in culture. I mean, Paul, we're talking about in the context of the, the people of God that Paul speaks up. And I'm talking about that too. We need to speak up. But, but even in our culture, I think we need to speak up. Our culture wants us to be silent, and, uh, and sometimes we need to speak up even in culture. So let me, let me tell you a couple reasons, four reasons real quickly why you should speak up. One, silence is deemed as approval, right? When you're silent on something, it, it, whether, you mean, whether, you, whether you agree or disagree, I mean, if, if you don't speak up, it's deemed as approval. Number two, the greater good should be our priority. So sometimes we've got to speak up because it's the greater good. That's what happened in Paul's case. Number three, no one else may know better. Maybe you're the only one that knows the truth. Maybe that's why you should speak up because you're the only one that can. And number four, you should speak up at times because when you speak up, there's probably other people out there that are struggling like you, wanting to speak up, not knowing. But when you speak up, you give courage for others to speak up and say, that's not right. That's not right. I've said it often, we must speak the truth on great issues, but we must speak the truth in love. Uh, even as we speak to our culture, speak from love, speak not from hatred or anger, speak from grace, not arrogance or superiority. But there are times we must not stay silent. Thank you so much for listening this week. If you have any questions, you can email them to Pastor Jimmy at baconscastle.com. Also, check out our website at baconscastle.com to get to know us and see what God is doing locally here in Surrey. Be blessed. Thank you.